I have to ask, and I'm, I know I'm going to regret asking this. What's monkey gland sauce? <laughs> yes, you will regret asking that question. I know I'm, I know I'm going to. I'm already braced. But why, for the love of God, is this in the script at all? Okay, Don. Don, pick a book. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let's do it when we're recording. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah, Ben recording. Oh, we are? Oh, we are? Oh. I told you. What it, Did you not listen when I said that's going to be a funny thing to leave in the podcast <laughs> with Scott and his... Okay, well, then let's do a p- countdown so you can uh, pick a book. Pick a book. Is this a magic trick? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Ooh. The one in the middle. And okay. Do the countdown first. Do the countdown while I'm opening the middle book. <laughs> Five, four... Three, two, one. Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rufus, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Oh, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yeah, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from Etc. Etc. This is the award-winning Stamp Show here today, episode number 183 I'm Cash <laughs> no, no, no. That was the funniest joke ever, Cash. Let's just leave it at that. Just, yeah. Okay, monkey gland sauce. Oh. <laughs> Why did that happen? This is Scott. Don't you hate it when someone answers their own question? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord, this is what we get for recording two in a week. <laughs> there you go. Not going to say your name. You're just going to be the mystery engineer. That was Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm your stamp mistress, Dawn. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm actually here. <laughs> Chris Barron wrote, can an imperf stamp be reperforated? Fraudulent perps. Perps? I don't think. I'm perps? We're not talking well, about Well, most people who are fraudulent are perps. Yes, they are. <laughs> Chris Barron wrote, can an imperf stamp be reperforated? Fraudulent perps, maybe, but then you get into the intent of the maker. Did he intend to defraud? What was in his mind? Good question. So if you perforate. If you make a fake coil by perforating it, you're perforating, re-perforate, you're re-perforating an imperforated stamp, or you're perforating an imperforated stamp. 
you're placing fake perforations on a on an imperforate stamp. So it's still imperforate. This was, by the way, this was one of the comments from our uh, podcast that we put up last Wednesday. Because <laughs> hmm. we were talking all about perforations and imperfections. Well, since a straight edge is perf one, if you trim off perforations on a fully perforated stamp, are you reperforating? Actually, a straight edge is not perf one. A straight edge is perf zero. So are you reperforating? Yeah, good point. <laughs> there are no perforations there, so you are not reperforating. You are fraudulently perforating if, in your mind, you are doing it to defraud the person. If you're not doing it to defraud the person, then you're not fraudulently imperfor- reperforating. You're just unimperforated. Oh, uh, this is philosophical. Let's get to our topic. What's our topic today? Our topic is random. So Don picked out the middle book. This is uh, a bluish gray book. Uh, We are using the This is Philately series by Kenneth A. Wood. And Don has picked out uh, actually book number one. It was in the middle. It was in the middle. (laughs) So we are now going to open to a random page. Uh And I am going to... See what's on that page. And I don't like what's on that page, so I'm going to open it another No, page. no, no. <laughs> what's on the page? What's on the page? The Danube Steam Navigation Company. Uh, I know nothing about uh. the Danube. I know where the Danube is. I know it's very important. I know it was a border that the Romans had great difficulty in crossing. It's a beautiful waltz. It's a beautiful waltz. In 1866, the Danube... Steam Navigation Company issued stamps for use on its mail service on the Danube River. The company served all of the countries through which the river flowed or that bordered on it, and service was eventually extended as far as Odessa on the Black Sea. There were four stamps in a common design. Some come in two perforations and two types. The perforations are 9.5 and 12. And the types consist of a variation in the letter F in the inscription. Show it up. Let me see what it looks like. Reprints are also known according to the Stanley Gibbons catalog. And it says what the stamps are inscribed, but that's a mouthful I don't care to Let's attempt. <laughs> what are they? That one, oh, it's just like a little circle with... I assume it says something like Danube Steamship Company and then the number 10 in the middle. Uh, yeah, and it's got a couple of anchors in the in the central vignette and the face value. So it's a... is Would you say it's a private post? Uh, yeah, I would say that it's probably a private post. And let's talk about private posts. We, we cannot sully the reputation of our random page open. Well, okay, so I can open to another random page. No, let's talk about private posts. Well, are we going to talk about private posts in the United States or worldwide? Let's do both, because I know quite a few in the United States, and I know quite a few worldwide, too. Well, private posts are also sometimes called local posts, because many of them were private. Um, There are very few that exist today in the United States. Uh, There are a few worldwide that still do exist. 
Um, but which ones? Are well, Rattlesnake Island still exists. Yep, does it, it does. Um, and so does Pineapple. Uh, Lundy. That's not in the United States. No, it's not. Well, actually, it could be in the United States for all the stamps that they print. <laughs> but uh, that still exists. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the Pineapple Post, the person who was uh, running it in the 70s, like got old and didn't want to do it anymore, and he ho- sold it to another person who ran it until the 1990s, and then they sold it. So actually, the Pineapple Post has been sold twice you know interestingly enough i do have pineapple post stamps that i've tried to sell on ebay and i've never gotten any bites nobody wants to you know i I put them up for a buck or two and and nobody wants to buy them because they don't know what they are well in my opinion they are not well produced no but they're it's it's interesting it's a local private post yeah it, it actually started uh going to the smaller islands there's one island and I forget the name of the Hawaiian Islands. Don, if you can buzz in, because uh, you're related to a person who's uh, right next to the lava flows, I believe, aren't you? Yeah, a little too close for my liking. Microphone. Definitely too close for my liking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they were using it legitimately, and then it became just a postal or a uh, philatelic thing. But their stamps are not well produced they're sort of they don't do any good designs on them rattlesnake island has great looking stamps let me guess rattlesnakes no actually they have like sailboats and i think they it sounds like a missed opportunity here you know i'm thinking have i seen a rattlesnake island stamp with a rattlesnake on it i don't think i have i don't think i have either i mean that's the name but they don't actually advertise the rattlesnakes no, usually it's a usually it's a mail delivery boat yeah. or beach a scenes. picture of the island, Lots the beach, of beach scenes, scenes yeah. yeah, things like that. It's just, it just more like they're advertising a a mountain yeah. hideaway campsite or something. Yeah, they, they don't want to say come here and get bit by a rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, one that I really liked was the Camel Post. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The U.S. Camel Post because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Back around was it the turn of the century, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. They uh, imported camels to the desert southwest to care, and uh, they used them. The army brought them over because uh, horses were a pain in the butt. Horses were a pain in the butt, and they didn't like the hot weather. Yeah, and so the army brought and it's an army post, but it became the camel post. They used them f- to take letters across the southwest deserts. Yeah. Um, but th- for many years, the army brought over camels and then they bred them uh here in the united states well that's like horses horses were brought over by the conquistadors got loose turned wild and then all the wild horses were not there before the spanish because horses in north america actually went extinct long long time ago with the megafauna so uh yeah there's camels there's wild camels in New Mexico still. I believe it's New Mexico. I think they might wander into Arizona, but I think it's mostly New Mexico. And they have like this camel preserve. Yes. Where they have wild camels that are totally not indigenous to. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's that's a really cool thing that, uh, you know, I, I ran across a couple of those one time and I looked it all up and I thought it was just yeah. the coolest thing to, to read all about that. 
And then they had the bicycle post in the San Francisco. Bicycle post in San Francisco. Which they had a legitimate bicycle post. And then I'm guessing like 75 years later, they re- resurrected it. They used the same sort of I design think that of the was stamp. More, I think that was more... Oh, totally a, philatelic. Yeah, that was, that was a philatelic thing to kind of commemorate it and bring it yeah. out into the public's knowledge. It wasn't actually something that they did or needed for delivery of mail. Well, but it operated for, I'd say, a good 10 years. And they, you know, they had their cancels and they, I think they went between Stockton and San Francisco, or not not San Francisco, uh, Stockton and Sacramento. Well, it's it's like uh, the the Pony Express. Every year they run a Pony Express thing Mm -hmm. uh, to commemorate the actual Pony Express. Well, my favorite on that is... uh, it's not a local post. It's just a commemorative yeah. event. But you have the Pony Post Office New York Express. And you find <laughs> a lot of Pony Express cancels yeah. on letters, but it's actually Post Office New York Express. Mm. Uh, Those are cool. Um, I, I've actually seen letters on dog sled. Oh, carried by dog sled. Yep. Although I don't think there was an actual... I did a rod sort of thing. I don't think there was a private post that was established that used that, though. Yeah, the, there's a difference between private posts that are just out there to say, hey, uh, I wonder if I can make 15 bucks off of a bunch of uh, stupid stamp collectors and postal services that actually legitimately operated and then turned into philatelic right. places to throw money. Right. I mean, pineapple, like I said, Pineapple Post and Rattlesnake Island were legitimate postage before. Right. They uh, right. went all commercial. Well, like Lundy Island. Yeah, there's there's actually still a couple others over in the in the Channel Islands and things like that. From for some of the smaller islands that don't have their own posts, mm-hmm. uh, they they um, they operate a service from these islands where there's only you know a small handful of residents over to like one of the Channel Islands to get it into the postal system, and then it goes off. Into the Royal Mail, and I, the names of those escape me at the moment. But oh, um, there were a bunch of the entire, there's a number of them, yeah, yeah. The, the Baltic Sea, uh, Denmark mostly, uh, Sweden a little bit, uh, Norway a little bit. They had hundreds of these little. Well, a lot of times, boats any, going back anywhere you have lakes and rivers, yeah, uh, it's a good target for. I mean, if you have an island or something like that that's not serviced very well by uh, the main postal system, that's a that's a good target for a local post that basically provides a service from the island and uh, into a junction with the major national postal systems. Well, I collect uh, Swiss stamps, and there are a lot of hotel stamps issued in Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one. But those are technically not local posts. Those are just paying the hotel to make sure your letter gets into the po- into the mail. Well, wouldn't that be a local post? Mm. Sort of a carrier fee post? It's more like a carrier fee. But, I mean, Rattlesnake Island is a carrier fee. We'll, we'll take... Well, that's what... A, yeah, a lot of those local posts are basically carrier fees. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of any... And actually, I think it's illegal after uh, whatever it is, 1855. In the United States. In the United States. Well, yeah, that's what. Uh, for a person to pick up a letter 
and deliver that letter to somebody else. All the local posts that we're talking about pick up the letter and then drop it off at a post office. They don't actually deliver the letter. They deliver the letter to the post office. You know, I I had uh, uh, a place I was living. The homeowners association got in trouble because they went and they put letters in everybody's box for <laughs> for an association type of thing. And so basically, they got sued by the postal service because uh, they were using the postal service mailboxes and hand delivering all their letters. I I have heard about that sort of thing. Now, if they, if if they put it on up, their windshield or put it on their door or something yeah. like that, no problem. Yeah, but the fact that they used the post office box yep. that uh, the Postal Service considers it their property, yep. even though you pay for it. You know, in rural America, you know, you drive down the road and here's the mailboxes all along the road and everybody gets to buy their own. Mm-hmm. But even if you buy your own, you're still not allowed to use it. That's right. Yeah. So going back to the dog sled thing, did you know that on average the dog sled teams pulled sleds containing between 500 to 700 pounds of mail? No, I didn't. But I did know that on the Iditarod, they carry little shoes for the dogs. Yes. And because you don't stop on the way, they carry four to six quads of shoes for each dog. So, like, they have this big, huge box of dog shoes that they carry with them. Well, it says, I found a thing from the actually the uh, Anchorage Daily News about dog sled mail. And oh. It was done by the USPS. Ah. It says, uh, by 1901, a network of mail trails throughout Alaska was in use, including a system that followed almost the entire length of the Yukon River. And then the historic 2,300-mile Iditarod Trail was the main dog trail that carried mail from Seward to Nome. Yeah, but that was, but <clears throat> again, that was under the auspices of the post office department, not a private post or a right. local post. Yeah, that's like, like I said, it's right. But that's still cool. Get your mail by dog sled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It says uh, each sack usually carried carried about 50 pounds, and they were rubber-lined waterproof bags to protect the mail from the snow, rain, and mud. <laughs> well, and his cash that. says the dog wore the dogs wore moose hide moccasins. <laughs> to protect their feet from the cold and the ice. Well, yeah, it wasn't so much to protect it from the cold, but the ice shards, like little bitty little yeah. razor blades, eventually they chop off the uh, first layer of skin, and then well, they have lots of problems. Ha- having grown up owning a dog in uh, upstate New York, you know... And you, Henderson, you let, Nevada, too. You, yeah, but <laughs> you don't get, you don't get dog, snow dog in Henderson, out here. Nevada. You, <laughs> You let your dog outside. They come in. You gotta, you gotta open up their pads and get the the packed snow out from between their toes. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if you have a dog that's running over snow and ice for miles, you're gonna definitely need to stop every once in a while and, and uh, clean that out because it will uh, eventually uh, damage their feet. Yeah. Or you put shoes on them. Yeah. You want to know when it ended? Sure. sure. 1963. They had dog sleds up until 1963. They still have them. In in 1963, the U.S. Post Office Department honored Chester Nungwak of Savanga 
I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm betting on St. Lawrence Island in the Bering Sea. He was the last mail driver, and with his retirement, regular sled dog mail delivery ended in Alaska. Huh. Yeah, because they had this thing called the Cessna airplane. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of cool. I just, you guys were talking, and I'm like, I don't know about this stuff, so I'm just kind of, and I'm like, dog sled mail is that private post? And like, came across an article. Well, you see, cool. that's how we suck you in. Mm-hmm. We talk about something you don't know about, and you go, oh, that sounds interesting. I think I'll look it up. <laughs> well, I did. You did. Any other stuff there? Oh, um, I know. I, hold on, hold on. You do have a story, though. The uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, why don't yeah, you share no, that Yeah, no, there was one? actually um, a thing I got in uh, an email from uh, Linz that I hadn't heard, which is apparently uh, the American Lung Association uh, tried to stop the... Uh, release of the scratch and sniff ice cream stamps. The stamps that we got at the little ice okay, cream I, truck. On why did they do that? I literally heard about this on the way in. I, yeah, explain why, because it sounds they, dumb. They thought that there's the, because I guess this is the first scratch and sniff U.S. stamp. Yeah, definitely not the first scratch and sniff stamp. But U.S., right? Right. Well, they had the Swiss one that had the chocolate. Yeah, but that's, but that's not, not U.S. US. Not U.S. Well, I believe, from what the article said, this was the first U.S. one. But apparently, the American Lung Association had fears that the microcapsules or the oil, the fragrance of the oil in the in the to make it scratch and sniff might cause people to have either asthma attacks or possibly cause people to get asthma. So they wanted to uh, have the post office not release the stamps. Based on what? Based, based on, on they thought people might get asthma. I know, but, yeah. but, but I mean, where's speaking the, to your mic. But where's the science in that? I don't know. A fragrance is going to cause asthma. Walk so over into not, Nordstrom's. So you should <laughs> w- not walk into yes, a flower but, shop but or people, any but department store. People who have store. asthma may not walk into the <clears throat> right those parts of department stores. Yes, and so if you have asthma, you're probably not going to do that either. So well, don't go to a but, flower but, shop. But cause asthma? It actually said it could cause asthma? I'll have to find it again. Well, but you is. know, if you have asthma and you know that you're sensitive to strong smells, you don't just grab a, a booklet of stamps and scratch it and sniff it. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> but if I mean, this gonna, is common sense. But if they think this could cause asthma, I want to know the science behind that. What, what, how do they come up with that? Well, I... I read a new scientific study. It was funded by the Skittles Foundation. You did not. I did. (laughs) Out of of 34 participants engaged in an all-Skittles diet, only one was killed in a baboon-related attack. Two others did die, but from non-related baboon murder-suicide. It's true. It's on. It's on Facebook. Where do you find this? <laughs> he doesn't. He makes, well, he it, makes up. it up. Yeah, that's what I was just to say. Yeah, right. Yeah, he makes it up. I I think that just calls for another random page open. Okay. Well, you see, we did honor the tradition, and we were forthcoming. So now we can open up to a second page. Aha. Mm. If, if if we have exhausted this topic, 
I think based on your last few comments, we have. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we're going to go to I chose book. Well, two hang, hang on, time. hang on a second, because I want to. You're doing. A I want to look at. I'm going to. Skittles research. No, the the scratch and sniff thing. Oh. Ah. There is one thing that I noted though. I don't know whether it's scratch and sniff, but when I pull the stamps off the backing paper, I can smell it. And it sort of, to me, smells like sort of a, a raspberry. So I didn't have to scratch it and sniff it. It sort of gave off its own scent when I peeled it off. So I'm wondering if the fragrance is on the front or is on the back. No, they're in, they're in micro capsules that when you scratch it, it breaks open the so it maybe, breaks open the capsule, which releases the scent. So maybe it's like when I'm bending the stamp, peeling it off the maybe. backing yeah. paper. Yeah. Maybe. That would make sense. Yeah. So here you go. Allison McMunn, spokeswoman for the association, told Linz in an email that the American Lung Association has raised concerns that fragrances may pose a risk for many of the more than 26 million Americans living with asthma, including both postal workers and the public. Hold on. Who, and there was another. Who was that again? Allison McMunn. Is she the co-inventor of the tube sock that we've heard so much about? I, no. I don't think so. Oh, okay. No. But then there was another guy that in his letter said fragrances used in workplaces have been linked to new onset asthma. So that's where I was thinking new mm -hmm. new cases. Uh, new onset asthma mm -hmm. from the U.S. Post Office. Hmm. There's government for you. Okay, so moving right along, the book is open and... And we are looking at Paper, comma, fluorescent. Fluorescent paper. I think that title kind of says it all. <laughs> Is there anything else to talk about? <laughs> well, we could go further up the page. Hey, and say you wouldn't people. let him change from the Danube. Okay, let's so. uh -huh. let's let's fully. D there there is a joke that uh, Jim Jeffries has, uh, and it goes, "Don't shake the baby." And it's like, why do you have to read the rest of it? It's pretty much all right there in the title. It's like, oh, fluorescent paper? Well, let's read this. Maybe they'll uh, give something else in it. Is there anything possibly interesting about fluorescent paper? It glows. Uh, let's see. Paper that reacts with a glowing effect when exposed to either short or long wave ultraviolet light is said to be fluorescent. <laughs> Such paper is commonly used in stamp production and is usually referred to as Hybrite. Yes. <clears throat> I'm waiting for the exciting part here. The first such paper was used for U.S. stamps in 1962. However, no official record was kept by the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and what is known was discovered by interested philatelic students. Who just happened to be bored with their stamps and have black lights. 1962. Right. That's 1962. Now, I can tell you that uh, because of that discovery, when they started doing that, and this is when they started, they discovered that when they started doing uh, the tagging experiments, Right. Uh, the philatelic students were looking for tagged stamps, and they were looking for varieties of tagging, and they discovered the Hybrite paper. And the Hybrite paper actually what it was is they had paper brighteners, bleaches and things like that, that were mixed in to make the paper appear brighter white. And so the post office in their 
spec requirements for paper used in stamp production had to actually insert requirements that they not use high bright paper and the paper that was used could not contain certain chemicals because it would cause the automation machines that were looking for tagging it would activate those just based on the paper instead of on the tagging so i do know that uh, their discovery in 1962 uh actually caused a change in the way that the does it have printing does it have paper. what the new or what the 1962 stamp issue was uh that would have been the liberty series generally yeah i know uh it was initially found on the three cent statue of liberty stamp but uh most of the other values do exist although they are very rare um, I don't think anybody, they're still looking for a $5. I don't think they've ever found the $5. But not all the not all of the issues uh, of the Liberty Series were tagged. Nowadays, the stamps of many countries will react to a degree, regardless of whether the stamps are tagged. Well, the Highbright's just the, the glow's blue, really, right? It's usually a blue-white, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've noticed that like if people clean their stamps and put a little bleach, yeah, to clean their stamps up, they'll make their stamps high bright. Yes, I mean we detect that real quick when we put it in the uh, VSC. The ultraviolet light just goes nuts. Yeah, so uh, stamp cleaning. Don't you know if you're going to use bleach, make sure you get it all out of there, uh, which is actually very difficult to do. Yeah. So just don't use bleach. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that was a short one. That was a short one. You want to do a third? You want to go for a three-fer? Well, we got three books, so we can go for the <laughs> volume three. Almost 40. 40 minutes? 40 minutes, and we're on a... Wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, here oh, we go. No, I'm sorry. It's uh, 30. 30 minutes. I thought it said 38, but it's the zero's got a line uh, through it. okay. Ah. Well, people were complaining they were too short, so let's throw a third one in there. This. That's not my problem. I'm 6'2". This is, <laughs> this is bonus information here for... Uh, People, if you haven't paid your membership fee, please turn off the podcast at this time. <laughs> okay. And one more. I want to know how many people actually just turn their, podcast, turn their <laughs> player off. <laughs> okay. We have Sir Moore. Oh, I love that. Is he, is he related to Sir Galahad? Sir Moore was an Indian feudatory state located in the Punjab. Oh. His capital city was Nahan. So not related to Galahad. Nah. No. no. Oh. It issued its first stamps in 1879 and continued until March 31st, 1901. They were valid for use only within the state. Official stamps were also issued, and these can be distinguished by the overprint O.N., S S S in the form of a diamond. Yes, and this is actually all the Indian feudatory states. Yes, this is one of the Indian feudatory states. And we, you know, I would love to have a whole podcast on these because this goes back. Well, I think you could do all the more way than to one. the Rajas. You could do more than one podcast on that. Yeah, but I mean, just the history of it, how. These. Well, let's talk a little bit okay. about okay. British ba India. Baseline, what are the India feudatory states? I'd there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right over my head. Okay, starting back with the Tamil kings, which people in history will know were, those were the, uh, 
the kings that were down at the south who never got conquered. Um, basically, the whole Indian continent went through these conquests that were not actually sort of even conquests at a lot of times. They had alliances. Think of like, you know how you hear about the news today of Afghanistan and you know, the, the government runs one third of it and warlords run the other two thirds. Mm -hmm. That's sort of how India was ever since the 1500s. When Britain conquered India, they conquered India by just going up to the Rajas and saying, hey, you want to be part of India or and uh, part of the British Empire also? And they said, how much are you going to pay me? And they said, well, we're not going to bug you. And you go, well, that's good enough. They didn't really pay him much. But yeah, the, these feudal states, which you can sort of think in the United States, like, you know, New York is its own country, sub-country inside of a country. Okay, so here's Indian native feudatory states. These state, states are located within British India, issued their own stamps, which are valid for postage within their respective states. The states in this feudatory group were Alwar, Bamra, Bahawalpur, now in Pakistan, Barwani, Bhopal, Bor, Bijawar, Bundi, Wusahir, Shakari. You are butchering these names. I know I am. Why don't you just surrender and say there's a bunch of them? Okay. Yeah, there's a whole bunch. <laughs> I'll give the list to Tom. Tom can butcher them. Now, what does it say about the history on them, though? Uh, they all issued their own stamps. For use only within that state. So it didn't go into like the history of them? In oh. No, it didn't go into the history of the states. We are going to do a podcast on this with the backstory. The backstory on why feudatory states exist. Well, you also have the cool. convention states too. Well, that's due too, yeah. So British India has a very, very rich uh, philatelic history. Oh, and it's also weird that uh, I, f I forget what it was, but they had like 8,000 bureaucrats running India. And they couldn't run it. It was impossible to run. But they ran it because these feudal states, feudatory, feudatory states. Feudis, I'm sorry, not feudal, feudatory, they ran themselves. And it worked relatively well for a couple hundred years. I mean, they had several uprisings and things like that. And then, you know, the... Uh, the redcoats with the pith helmets would go out there and with their guns and shoot a bunch of the natives. And mm -hmm. Actually, was okay. Actually, not even. They'd sort of show up and the natives would go, "Oh, you took that the wrong way. <laughs> we were we weren't actually like rebelling. <laughs> we were just having a party." Okay, that's what we'll do then. We'll do a uh, uh, Indian hist uh, states history podcast, and I'll put that one together. That's going to be a That'll be a nice long one. We may mm -hmm. actually break that, that into two. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I will really, to get... It'll take two just to pronounce all the names correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on that. Just to get the feel of it, though, you literally have to go back to the 1400s and the 1500s. Otherwise, you don't get why this system existed the way it did. You have to invite Balab. Oh, oh yeah. I'll, let, I'll find... Uh, Oh Even if he just calls in. Yeah. Or I can call... Um, Deepak? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think Balab would have fun because he does listen to the podcast. Yeah. Cool. So you guys got a little... Uh, we only know a few Indians. 
<laughs> Actually, I'm on Facebook. I see their posts all the time. India is massively on Facebook. It's it's very very popular right now. Yeah, I mean, I get invited to all sorts of Indian chat groups, and then I can't read them. You know, so. <laughs> but it, you can't read English either. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. <laughs> uh, so, are we done? Are we in the petering out section? I think we're abrupt. Abrupt. We've abruptly come to an end. Mm-hmm. Unless you want me to open another book. Now, uh, what are we at? We're like 45 minutes now? Yeah, like 37. 37. <laughs> well, we're, we're over the 20 minutes that uh, everybody was complaining about. So why don't you add an interview or something to the end of it? Uh, oh, Conduct an interview tomorrow at your stamp thing. That's true, but That's you, true. I'm going to add the uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Oh, God. <laughs> it just set my teeth on edge just thinking about Is it. Is that it? <laughs> That's it. all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silkom was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> Return to sender. Return to sender. Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show here today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Worst episode ever. Oh, not even close.